this is what where he realized that when people were coming to see him and say boss or speak up at a meeting in front of everybody and volunteer an idea he understood that people were actually taking a risk and and very often people they choose not to say anything not to to because they're afraid they're afraid of what other people are going to say they're afraid of their boss they're afraid of judgment so this is the psychological safety you were talking about so what he what he understood is that when people came to see him they were taking a risk so what they were effectively doing is that they were giving him a gift and he told me when people give me a gift the first thing i say is thank you welcome back everyone to the geeks geezers and googleization show the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on in the world of business, technology, and HR. Here's your host, Ira Wolf. Welcome back, Googleization Nation, to another episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization. I'm Ira Wolf, and I'm here with my co-host, Jason Cochran. Welcome. Good hey, to see you, man, Ira. Excited to be with Googleization Nation today. Exciting yeah, topic around innovation. Another never normal week, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Blur's day, as you often call it. Yeah, for sure. What a crazy week. We've got a great, great guest today. I met Ben just a few months ago, reached out. He had a new book called Built to Innovate. And, but the reason I was really excited to meet him, he worked with, he works with an organization, a university called INSEAD. For those familiar with Blue Ocean Strategy, Blue Ocean Shift, they're sort of the, they're the home of that, which really looks at business strategy, how to find those new opportunities, create value, add new value. And, and then I was teaching my class in organizational change and, uh, and, and the book came. And when I saw that where he was, he was actually He'll have to give it the proper name, but it was, I think, Dean of uh, Business Education there for for two years, but he's a professor there. And so I was so excited that he he spoke at one, he was a guest lecture for one of my classes because we use the Blue Ocean Strategy. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, but his book is not about Blue Ocean Strategy. It really fits into what we talked about last week uh, with Chad and, and so very often the that we talk about innovation all the time. And last week with Chad, we were talking about HR tech. And so many, time, so many times companies reach for the technology. We're, we're going to innovate. We're going to bring in new technology. We're going to automate this process. We're going to use a robotic. And he draws a distinct difference between innovation and innovating. Oh, that's intriguing. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be fun. This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, so I, I can't wait to get to him. But before then, we're also, you and I are going to be talking about how do we get people to think this way? How do we get people to think differently? We've got a webinar tomorrow. We've got a great attendance. There is still some room. There is a limited amount of, of seats available, virtual seats available. But if you sign up and, and for some reason you can't get in or the time doesn't work out, it will be recorded so you can follow that. But we're talking about how to reimagine your future tomorrow. And uh, we're going to talk about adaptability, the adaptability quotient. And we are ultimately going to be talking about how you can reshape your organization. How do you create this culture? Which just, it, it works so well with what Ben's going to talk about is how do you create a culture of continuous innovation, which means that you're going to continually have to adapt, continually have to change. So what are the factors? What are the dimensions in there? When, when, when I programmed both of these, when we put both of these on the calendar, I had no idea that there was going to be so much synergy between these two conversations. 
perfect for those two to button up against each other. And, you know, I've got to admit, working in a technology company, when I hear about innovation, sadly, you know, I often think in terms of technology companies like you were alluding to. But I, I think what we hear from Ben today is innovation is a critical skill that's needed for every business, regardless of where you find yourselves. And it was fascinating to me in preparing for today, found a McKinsey study that showed that came out last year was on innovation. And what they found is that companies who invest in innovation as one of their two strategic priorities during a crisis outperform their peers in the recovery phase following the crisis by 30% on average. So it's not just essential to innovate to survive. It's essential to thrive. Yeah, absolutely. And and I don't want to take too much time away from Ben, but, you know, I, I was looking at some topics and it came to me just this morning for the never normal news, which people can get to through through my through LinkedIn, if you're connected with me through LinkedIn. But, you know, when we talk about normal and, and I'll be interested to hear what Ben's kind of feelings about this or what his perspective is that everybody still wants to go back to normal. I've done two sure meetings in the last two days and every, you know, I ask, you know, what's your definition of normal? And everybody goes, Oh, it's calm and serene and routine and we and nice. And I mean, it was all this fluffy stuff, but we're not going back there. But when we, have you heard me say this before, when we talk about going back to normal, uh, just hit me this morning. If we go back to what was normal in 1950 in 1960, normal you know, Jeff Foxworthy, big fan of his, you know, if you are, what does he say? You might be, you might be a, so when you go back to here, you might be a racist, you might be some, and we won't go down that path, but just some things that people not, we forgot. I mean, baby boomers didn't forget, or maybe some baby boomers did, but other people didn't remember this. If you were a woman in the 1950s, you think earlier, you couldn't open a bank account without your husband or a male relative's approval. You couldn't open and get a credit card. You couldn't serve on jury duty in every state. You couldn't practice law in all 50 states. You could be arrested for breastfeeding in public. You couldn't attend a military academy. You couldn't go to an Ivy League school. You couldn't take birth control without your husband's permission. You couldn't refuse sex with your husband. Well, you just couldn't refuse sex with your husband. You couldn't go on maternity leave or keep your job if you were pregnant. I remember some of those days. And, you know, as the, as the, well, I act like a, a geek, but I'm, I'm the geezer in the room. So, so there, there's all these things we forget about, but also people of color, you couldn't kind of reverting back to that. Maybe couldn't vote, couldn't attend the same schools as white kids, couldn't stay at a same hotel, couldn't go to a restaurant, had to sit in the, in the back of the bus. That was all in our lifetime. That until the 1960s was normal. Is that the normal we're going to go back to? And everybody wants to cherry pick. Oh, no, no, no. I wouldn't want to go back for that. Well, that's not how life works. We can't cherry pick. You can't we can't roll the clock back to 1950 for some things and then other things. Oh, no, we want to keep them the same. So we've got a lot of work to do. And and so all of this fits into this concept of creating a culture of moving forward, growth, success, continuous innovation. And we're really excited to have all the way from Japan and just for all our our U.S. listeners or even uh, Europe, our European listeners. It is 3 a.m., or now it's actually 3.07 a.m. or 3.08 a.m. in the morning for Ben Bensow, who is joining us. And he's wide awake. We've talked to him before. So welcome, Ben. <laughs> yes, good afternoon, Ira. Good afternoon, Jason. Good afternoon, everybody. Yes, I'm full awake, and I hope you'll, you'll keep me awake. <laughs> yeah, yeah oh, oh, for sure. So I'm just going to read your title here. Thank you here. for inviting me. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a pleasure. And, and especially getting up that early. I've, I've tried that a couple of times and it's not always easy. You're, you're currently, have, you have a role in addition to your book, Built to Innovate, which we'll be talking about a lot. Professor of Technology Management and Professor of Asian Business and Comparative Management at INSEAD. <laughs> Long title. I don't know how you get that on your door <laughs> or your business card, <laughs> um, but that's an awful long title. Uh, and for those who aren't familiar with INSEAD, I think I represented it correctly, that it's really the home of Blue Ocean Strategy. <laughs> Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So for those who don't maybe know INSEAD, it's NCID is the, the business school for the world. It's global business school with campuses in, well, the main campus is in, in France, Fontainebleau, in Singapore, Abu Dhabi. And we opened a research hub in San Francisco a couple of years ago. And what we do is independent and we do mostly degree programs like MBA, executive MBAs, and a lot of executive education. And what we teach, what we coach people in actually comes from the research that we, the faculty do. And, 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 and two of our professors, Chang Kim and Rene Moborn, were the ones who started actually working on innovation. And at first it was called value innovation in 1998 when I started to work with them. And then they published the book, Blue Ocean Strategy, and later Blue Ocean Shift and Yes, Blue Ocean, INSEAD is the home of Blue Ocean Strategy, absolutely, yeah. And I think you were dean, was it, were you dean of the school yes. or dean of business education? No, absolutely, yes. So I said we have two, two kind of big kind of sources of revenue, degree program, MBA, executive MBA, and, and we do a lot of executive education. That's about half of the, the revenues of the school, and I was dean of executive education, yeah. Excellent. Good. So I just want to make that right. And, and obviously you got the credentials to be here. So, and we're going to share some of that knowledge. So let's talk a little bit about it. And, and, and note your book is not about blue ocean strategy, but I think it's a really important, it's really important. And, and it seems to resonate when we talk about the blue ocean and, you know, the alternative is the red ocean. So if you can give us a real concise summary and explanation of what that might mean, and again, most many of our audience or, or most of our audience is going to be HR recruiters, business leaders, and and certainly our focus is how can companies recruit and retain people. So again, we, we need to really innovate HR, yeah. but everybody seems to be swimming in this red ocean looking for talent. Right. They're doing the same old stuff over and over again. Let's or let's throw money or let's throw another benefit or let's do something you know with with a little flash, but they're not really changing it. So if you can real briefly talk about how red ocean and blue ocean may fit into this. And then we're going to lead into really go into your book. Yeah. So there's actually a real affiliation between my book and, and blue ocean strategy. So I said, it started to Chan and Renee started to publish around the topic in 1998. And I started to actually be involved with them. The key concept really is about strategy is how to, to shift from what used to be taught in strategy was competitive strategy. How do you compete? How do you outperform your competitors in, in a competitive arena? And basically, they shifted the conversation by saying, instead of trying to outcompete in the red ocean, you know, bloody red ocean, why don't you look for new and create new market spaces? And this is what the blue ocean strategy is about, is how do you create these this new markets? And I started to actually teach and do work on blue ocean strategy. And it's really when I started to help companies 
implement and roll out Blue Ocean Strategy that I discovered that you needed to build an organization to support Blue Ocean Strategy. So the link between my book and Blue Ocean Strategy is that Build to Innovate is what it means. It's about building the, I call it the innovating engine, which will help yield the Blue Ocean Strategy. So let's try out some of those differences. And one of the things that struck me, and and this was a little bit before you spoke to to my class just a few months ago, but definitely in preparation for this and having more opportunity to, to go through the book. I find it fascinating and it just it just hit me and especially with the conversation we had last week on this show which sat with Chad Sowash about HR tech and you probably heard the intro is that so many companies reach you know reach for the shelf pull it down and this is going to fix our problems maybe that may that to them is innovation but you talk about the difference of innovation and innovating yes yes actually like many things, many of these ideas, it came completely by accident. So I was telling you, I was teaching early in my career, teaching and, and coaching and helping companies with innovation. And I had noticed something really strange in the, in, the, in, in, the, in the classroom, in the groups, is that I found that the word innovation tends to be very intimidating. When people were sent to these programs, they were called value innovation program or blue ocean strategy program or disruptive innovation, the people who would be facing me would have this anxiety and this this fear, and I couldn't understand what was going on. And it came to me after talking to them that what was happening is that they all had the sense that they were expected when going back to, to the company after the training, they were expected to come up with a new product or a new service or a new business model. And, and they expected, they thought that their boss was expecting them to do that. And, and that creates a lot of anxiety. And then I started to instead use the, the verb, not the noun innovation, but the verb to innovate or the adjective to become, let's, let's learn how to become more innovative. And then I felt that the, the anxiety, the stress was going away. And I really realized quickly that what's happening is that people understood that when you talk about to innovate, you're talking about actions, you're talking about activities, you're talking about a process, you're talking about something that can be learned, that you can support with tools. And it's not about having special talent to come up with, with great ideas, but it's about a skill, a skill that you can learn. Just to use maybe another metaphor, if you, if you think about innovation or blue ocean, a blue ocean, as the tip of the iceberg, the, the, the iceberg that you see above the sea level, above the water level, innovating and innovating capabilities is what is under the water level. It's the, it's the big part of the iceberg. It's, it's, it's about these capabilities. Linda Hill at Harvard called it the collective genius. And if you will, build to innovate is about how to enlist and leverage the capabilities of everyone in the organization. And, and, and that's the big difference between innovation and innovating. Yeah. I mean, well, my, my head's just racing with, with ideas <laughs> as you talk about that. And, and, and as you talk about the iceberg where innovation is the tip of the iceberg and innovating is the, is the underpinning is that so many people, it goes back to my, what we were just talking about with HR tech, people reach for, oh, we're going to have a new ATS, a new HIRS. Let's try texting. Let's try chat. Let's try automation. Let's try something else. And they don't want to do the homework. 
They don't want to build that foundation. And that's about building that. I think I believe this is correct. You call it the culture of continuous innovation. Continuous innovation. Yes. I mean, this is another another thing that I noticed also is that talking to people and teaching and senior executives and frontline people, I discovered that people think that you need to you need a genius leader or, or to be a startup to innovate. Well, that's not true. In the research I've done, I found established companies, even century old companies capable of innovating. Well, what do they do? They don't they don't kind of obsess about uh, looking for a um, huge industry-changing effect, but they look for small, very important, and changes which are very often in unexpected places. And this is where they use continuous innovation. Innovation of all kinds and driven by everyone in the organization. And I think this is a big difference. This is I like the word doing your homework. You have to build the capabilities. It's not... It's, it's not you can't simply rely on on the genius of your leader or or a few you know brilliant R&D people and i always tell people what if your ceo is not a genius what do you do you have to you have to create innovation or innovating capabilities in spite of the fact that you don't have a genius leader i think this is very important and jason ben, i see your wheels right i see the wheels churning there <laughs> Absolutely fascinating, you know, hearing Ben describe this. And I mean, it's so true. And I'm wondering for our listeners, you know, they, they might be wondering, what are the, the major obstacles that often come up to developing that continuously innovating culture? You mentioned that you can do it in spite of leadership, like you can still have people taught the skills. But in your research, have you seen maybe one or two things that often trip up organizations in being successful at adapting and developing that innovative culture? Again, I'm not saying that leaders don't have a role to play. In fact, I, I make the argument that to create this capability, this innovating engine, you need you need everybody. And there's a, there's a specific role for senior leaders. Something that I, I found was surprising to me is the importance of middle management. Middle management, without middle management, innovation would not happen. So it's very important to focus on middle management. And then, of course, the ideas come from the front line. So what, what, what I talk about is really... Uh, to take, as I say, take innovation seriously, take it seriously. And for this, you need to, to build concrete, protected and fully legitimized space within the organization where at least everyone can innovate. Not, not only your genius leader or your R&D people, but everyone can innovate. People, you know, I've seen, I've seen brilliant, brilliant ideas from, from people at the call center or a receptionist in one project that I've seen. You can innovate in everything you do, not only in your products and your services, but also in your internal processes, in your functions. And more importantly, innovating, as I call it, not innovation, but innovating the process has to become a habit. And for this, you need to build, as I said, an organization, which means that it has, just like I call the other part of the organization, the execution engine, the innovating engine also needs to have a structure, a governance and coordination structure with specific tasks and roles for some people. It has to be driven by processes and it has to have its own distinct culture. So this is something really concrete. It's not just a saying, let's build the innovating engine. I like the, the notion of making an investment, taking it seriously, and, and, and doing the homework. 
Yeah, I, I just wrote that down, t- taking innovation seriously. And I think that's such a key, but it's it's really taking innovating seriously. Absolutely. It, it, it's not, yeah, I mean, people, exactly. take, people take the innovation seriously because they bite something, but they, they don't take the innovating seriously. So, I mean, I love that distinction. I want to I get into a little bit about execution, you know, the difference of, I mean, innovating and then executing up because a lot of organizations really do a great job of, of coming up with, you know, whether it's an incremental change or a transformational change, they do a good job of that. And then it just falls flat. It just, we don't see the benefits of that. But what are some companies, and I know there's many mentioned in your book, so people can can get built to innovate and learn about these. But are there any companies that come to mind, you know, that you use an example that really transform their culture or really turn this around? And then, and I don't want to really pigeonhole you here, but sure. any that have done a really good job at changing the way they managed people. Um, yes. So in the people's culture, yes. both go along. So. Well, there are quite a number of companies that I feature in the book. And, and on purpose, I don't only focus on the what I call the usual suspects, the uh, high-tech companies or the, uh, the entertainment companies that we know of. But I try to focus on companies and industries that are not necessarily known for innovation, like cement or or tire business, or or pharmaceutical chemicals. So maybe one of them I can I can highlight, just to show you how they managed to create an innovating engine by giving a role to all three layers. So this is example of Bayer. I think you pronounce Bayer, right? Bayer, yeah. the pharmacology and life sciences global company based in in Germany. And mind you, this is an interesting example because this is a company that has a long history of of scientific achievements and brilliant products delivered by the R&D. But in 2014, they decided to create an innovating engine to leverage the the capability of the 100,000 employees they have. So what did they do? First, they made the whole board responsible for innovation. The whole board was responsible and accountable for innovation. Then they selected 80 senior managers from across all country regions and global functions to support the board as innovation ambassadors. And these ambassadors, they spend most of their time with middle managers explaining why innovation is important, uh, advocating for innovation, sponsoring, training the middle managers in innovation. And then they did something really remarkable. For these middle managers, they created support infrastructure. They, they trained and certified a thousand innovation coaches, which they activated across the whole organization. So this is the role of the middle managers. And then for the frontline, they created WeSolve. This is a digital platform where, if you will, any, any employee within Bayer can post a problem they're struggling with and, and invite input or ideas from anyone across the whole organization. Now, what is really interesting is that actually they, they let me actually visit the platform, digital platform. At any given time, they have about 200 challenges posted on the on the channel and they have already 40,000 people who have participated in WeSolve. Mind you the web the platform is is in English and they have only 50,000 people in the whole organization who speak English. But I'll I'll tell you what is the most impressive statistics for me they showed me. 
out of the best ideas that are offered for the challenges that are posted, two thirds of the best ideas come from unit or function different from where the other challenge was generated. And for me, this is a fantastic example of how they got everyone across the organization to, to, to participate into the innovating space. So for me, this is, this is a very good example because it's a systematic, they started in 2014 and they went by it very systematically, trained people. So for me, mention it in the book, for people to innovate, they need three things. They need to feel that they are able, which means that they need to have permission to innovate. If you don't give them permission, guess what? They won't innovate. I mean, when I say give permission, it has to be sincere. You have to give them, sincerely give them permission to innovate. The second thing they need, they need to feel capable, which means that they need to be, to have the tools, the training, the support, the time, the time to innovate. You have to allocate time and space for them to elevate, give them the proper training. And thirdly, they need to feel motivated. They need to feel that they, they, they have challenges, so you see, you hear a lot about companies who propose challenges, you know, or, or hackathons. They need to feel that they have certain autonomy and, and that they're going to be recognized, that their ideas wanted. And this creates a motivation to, to, to innovate. Ben, we're, we're coming up close to our break here, and hopefully you can stay just a few minutes longer. Oh, I'm uh, fine. We're going to come I'm back fine. for that. This I'm enjoying a fascinating it. conversation. And I, I just want to share with you, and, and Jason and I are... are our COE doing a, a webinar tomorrow, and we're talking about adaptability, and it was really more of uh, building that culture of that. And, and as you went down here, you talked about is giving people permission to innovate, you know, feeling capable, motivating others. Within that, within our adaptability quotient, we measure does company support? Does the, the people feel that the company has their back? If they suggest something, is it going to be a stupid idea? Are they going to get rejected? Are they going to get penalized? Team support. We talk about the emotional health. How do they feel about that? And, and then most importantly, it's that psychological safety. It's, it's that having that safe zone to make a suggestion and you're not ridiculed and, and it coming well, okay. from another outside, you know? <laughs> Ira, I'll have, I'll have to tell you when we come back from the break how I learned from a Japanese manager how he changed the norms in the company to do exactly what you're talking about. Well, we, After we, the we break. Just, thank you. We just hooked everybody to come back. Hey, you're listening to the Geek Skeezers Googleization Show. Thanks for being part of Googleization Nation. We are talking with Ben Bensow, author of the new book, Built to Innovate. And for all our HR and business leaders, if you just tuned in, you missed a good one. If you've been listening you know you're going to want to stay tuned. So we'll be right back in one minute. Change doesn't pick favorites. No matter who you are or where you live, the year 2020 was filled with one unexpected challenge after another. According to the authors of The Adaptation Advantage, we are incredibly well prepared for the past, but woefully unprepared for the future. That leaves millions of people feeling scared, worried, frustrated, and confused. Whether you're the owner of a business or a worker out of a job, adaptability is now an essential skill you need to ride the next wave of normal. The good news is, is that science shows that adaptability is learnable. Adaptability gives us the confidence and courage to think about change and embrace opportunity in the right way. Adaptability gives us hope for a better future. And goodness knows we need hope. Are you ready to embrace change and double down on your future? Contact Success Performance Solutions today to schedule a consultation about how you can reimagine your team's future, how you can begin to think about opportunity the right way. 
Hey, welcome back to Geek Skeezers Googleization. I'm here with my co-host, Jason Cochran. I'm Ira Wolf, and our special guest today is Ben Bensow, author of the new book, Built to Innovate. Ben, when we left off, we were, well, one is, I just want to put a, Roxy, if you can run the banner there for the webinar tomorrow, just so if anybody wants to register, it is free and you can sign up. It's 2 p.m. Eastern time. If you can't make it, it will be recorded. So sign up anyway, and uh, you'll be sure to get the recording there. Ben, when we left off, you had a you prompted a, a great, you had a good story to tell us about yes, the yes. Japanese manager. This is a Japanese manager. I think I trained him about 15 years ago in innovation and then and then i followed him and 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 tried to understand how he's how, how he was doing and he, he told me about how he was able to transform the the culture the norms in his team and and get people to come to come to him with a lot of ideas what he understood and this is this is i thought it was very fundamental and actually i talk about it in all the training and all the the coaching i do is that he what he understood is that when, when people are operating in the execution engine, when they're executing their job, it's very visible. Very often they follow some, some, some process or some, some procedure in some cases. It's something that their boss can observe. Very often there are even some metrics. So they know that their boss at any time can know whether they're doing their job or correctly or not. But this visibility disappears when you're talking about innovation. You see, I can't come and say, oh, Ira, I think you have an idea. You're hiding it from me. You know, you're not telling me. This is, this is, this is what, where he realized that when people were coming to see him and say, boss, or speak up at a meeting in front of everybody and volunteer an idea, he understood that people were actually taking a risk. And, and very often people, they choose not to say anything, not to... to because they're afraid. They're afraid of what other people are going to say. They're afraid of their boss. They're afraid of judgment. So this is the psychological safety you were talking about. So what he, what he understood is that when people came to see him, they were taking a risk. So what they were effectively doing is that they were giving him a gift. And he told me, when people give me a gift, the first thing I say is thank you. And I found this formidable because when, when he started to Every time somebody said something about an idea or volunteered something, he, the first thing he would say is thank you. And that completely changed the behavior around him. And then there's another very interesting thing that he did uh, because he disciplined the thinking. You know, you don't need, you don't need to, to, to patronize people. You just give them the mental discipline to be able to evaluate their own ideas because he, he got bombarded with ideas then, you know, <laughs> he was saying, thank you. You got bombarded with ideas, good and bad ones. So what he started to do is to always ask two questions, only two questions and always in the same order. So people would come to see him and say, boss, I have an idea. Thank you. And he would say, can you help me? I'd love to understand why would the customer like this idea? And people, sometimes they come and say, I don't know. So he would say, well, why don't you go and ask a customer? So that was the first question. And I think it's very fundamental because he was, he was telling people first, bring me your ideas. But before you bring me your ideas, think about the customer. And then, and then when, when came the second question, when people gave him the reason why the customer would be willing to pay for this idea, he would ask the second question, which is, what would be the benefit for the company? Why would we do this? And just with this thank you and these two questions, he created 
norm, a mindset. And he was telling me he was even laughing himself. He said, after a few months, because people talk to each other, you know, they know the boss always asks these strange questions. So he had people now come to him and say, boss, I have a great idea and the customer is going to like it for this. And this is why we should do it. That's 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 very simple way to create the safety you were talking about, to create the the, the welcome. Please bring me your ideas and learn to think about your ideas with clarity. Why would the customer like them? Because innovation starts with the customer. I love that, Ben. I mean, that's that's like a Yoda wisdom moment right there. Seriously, because I know I get stuck in this, too. You know, you can get stuck in a vacuum when it comes to innovation, I'm sure, where you're coming up with ideas. But if it's not through the lens of who you're trying to help and who it's supposed to support and you're not empathizing with them and getting their input, then you can very quickly be off in left field and completely innovate in the wrong way in terms of what the actual design needs to be to solve the problem for the, the person you're trying to solve it for. Absolutely. Absolutely. And now I was telling you this story as a, as a way that how, how a manager can, in a very subtle way, just by questions, by his attitude, change the way that his staff are going to behave. But of course, this has to be supported by proper training. And we, we do have you know, a set of tools. I mean, some come from design thinking, some come from blue ocean strategy about how people can, 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 can actually listen. I mean, for the customer, you know, listen to the customer. And, and I like to, 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 to parse it in three. One, they need to learn how to listen to the, the voice of the customer. What is, what are their dislikes, their, their pain points? What are their likes? What are their wishes? And, and for this, it's important for people to learn how to switch from, I call, you know, from a tell mode or sell mode to, to move into a listen mode, very much with a lot of empathy. The second skill people need to learn is how to listen to the silence of the customer, what the customer doesn't tell you. And the customer is not telling you either because they don't know about this desire or this need that they have, or they might know about it, but they don't tell you because they don't think it's your problem to solve. And I can give you an example if you want. And then the third one is to learn, I mean, and Ira knows a lot about that, is how to learn from the non-customers. This is something that very often people underestimate is how much you can learn from non-customers. And this could be customers who are not your you know, patronizing your business, but it could be also your suppliers, your customers' customers if, you, if you're in B2B, your influencers, regulators I found also can, 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 can help to innovate. So these are really important. This is what I call the customer comes first in innovation. Yeah, and, and again, and we talked a lot about, uh, we've had Charlene Lee, I might have mentioned her, I don't know if you're familiar, she talks about disruption mindset. And her focus is on future customer. I know you talk about the future yeah. customer, you know, looking at that, not what the customer bought in the past or what they valued in the past, but what will they value in the future? Okay. It creates little signs of innovation. You also mentioned, Ben, and we're coming up close to the end here, and then we have a little bit of a lightning round here. So I want to be sure that we get to that. But but one of the things that we also measure in, that in the AQ is, is motivating style, what motivates people. And basically covered it because there are some, some people that are motivated to play, play to protect. We have, you play to win. They're willing to take the risks, go out. They're willing to, to steal second base, but you have to leave first. And there's other people that want to say, yeah, I want to steal second. I want to get there, but I'm not willing to take my foot off the first base. And, and they can't possibly get there. So again, 
you covered so many aspects of did without any planning. I mean, this wasn't re rehearsed yes. so, uh, and I really appreciate your insights. We are definitely going to have to get you back another time. Hopefully <laughs> uh, we we'll try to be a little more flexible. We want to do these routinely at 3 a.m. But uh, we really appreciate you being here. Uh, before we get to how people can get in touch with you and so forth, a couple light, a couple lightning round questions that we have. Number one, if you had to pick one word to describe 2022, what is it? Hope. Hope. Thank you. Good word. What's the best advice you ever got but ignored? Oh, grow up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard, that. I've heard that a lot. Or, you know, have a life or get a life or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite podcast? Favorite? Yes. Podcast. Uh, oh. Other than Geek Skeezer's Googleization, of course. But <laughs> Oh, actually... Uh done i'm just uh, in the middle of a, another podcast which is now in three parts i forget what's the name of the podcast but the the host is aiden mccullen from ireland i think it's the innovation do you know it it's not your honor no. yeah, okay. well, i'm sure i'm sure people if, <laughs> if people are interested they can look it out it's uh, aiden a-i-d-a-n mccullen from from ireland yeah, i enjoy it because it's a uh, it's, it's, you know, we go through the book chapter by chapter. Almost. Oh, nice. Yeah. If, yeah. if you share that with us, we'll make sure it's oh, in the, actually, in the show yes. So you let, can let do me, that. Type his, uh, his name here. Yeah. While we're on the air, you can do that afterwards. What's your favorite book? My favorite book is business book, you mean? Yes. Oh, I, it has to be Blue Ocean Strategy. And final question. The, actually, if, can I can I have a second also yeah, for that? Oh, absolutely. I uh, always the, do that. I always have two or three. So the 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 individualized enterprise. These are actually, I would say, built to innovate is built on these two books: Blue Ocean Strategy and the Individualized Corporation or Enterprise by Sumantra Goshal and uh, yeah, Sumantra Goshal and uh, Chris Bartlett. We'll put both of those in the uh, in the show notes. Last question: We get you back twelve months from now. It's the beginning of 2023, hard to believe. What are we going to be talking about? Oh, I'm, I'm sure we'll still be talking about innovation, but <laughs> uh, it's an endless topic. But Or certainly about, you mean in business, and we're not talking about politics. Right. Okay. Well, we could uh, be talking politics, but let's try to steer away from politics. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> from Europe, so I'm not going to meddle with you. <laughs> what's going on there. Yes, I think I think it's going to be digitalization, you know. Yes. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that. So we'll definitely have to have you back. I just I think it came from Forrester. I just saw there was a webinar or, or a session next week, and they yeah. talked about it. And, and the first bullet was, now that digital transformation is over, what what should we be doing? And they didn't get the memo that it was over. <laughs> yeah. We'll be curious yeah. what they have to say. Yeah. Uh, ben, it's an absolute pleasure. How can people get a hold of you? How can they get your book? Well, I think there's, there's a banner with, with, with the website for the book. It's BTI, uh, yeah, btithebook.com. People can find me also on, uh, on social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube. We have a YouTube channel with quite a few videos. They can just look for Ben Bensau, Ben Bensau, and then I'm sure they'll uh, they'll land somewhere. Last, anything that we should have asked you that we didn't? Oh no, no, no! I think uh, we need to continue. We need to have part two, part three. I mean, there's so much more to to talk about. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, and and would be we'd be thrilled to have you back. I'd love to. Yeah. yeah. Please, please stay safe. 
we'll continue to follow you. We'll be, we'll, we'll definitely be in touch. And thanks and uh, appreciate the, appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for reaching out to me initially and sending me the book and, and uh, I'll be talking about it. So hopefully you'll get some more sales. <laughs> All that. right. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jason. Okay. I ro- thank you, Roxy, thank you. And it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, Ben. Stay safe. Take care. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. And I hope you get a nap in too. <laughs> so <laughs> back to bed. Yeah, that was great. It really wow. was unrehearsed. I mean, you talk about the, the synergy between that and I was trying to draw some of the connections and you know I shared that and even though I heard Ben we had a conversation a month ago for about an hour with the class even at then even hearing some of what his approach was I wasn't making some of the connections of 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 how this related to what we're talking about but I mean it was one after the other you know the the synergies I just love that concept of creating an innovating culture and the difference between innovation and innovating. And we talk about innovation so much. And so do many of our guests. We talk about technology and, and how we need to in, become innovators and what people need to do. But the distinction was just phenomenal. I mean, that we're talking about lessons learned, what we learned for you. What what did you what did you hear that what was your aha moment today? <laughs> yeah, that, that was a big one that you just alluded to, the difference between innovation and innovating. Another one for me, we didn't have time to get into it more today, but he alluded to the importance of cross-functional teams mm-hmm. where, you know, oftentimes the most innovative solution to actually solve the problem within a certain department actually came from a different department that was looking at it from a separate set of lenses. And I just think that's such good wisdom for all of us, not only in our personal lives, but professional lives and certainly in an organization that, you know, we can inadvertently get our blinders on when we've been working on a problem for so long. And many times it's getting that outside perspective from someone or a group of other people that have fresh eyes, fresh ideas to the problem and fresh perspectives that finally unlocks it. And you get that ah moment of how you're actually going to solve it for someone. Yeah. And again, I think he did mention that is, is it was that one example that what was it? Two thirds of the solution or the recommendations that they implemented came from people outside the department. Right. So, so somebody presented an issue, a problem they were having, and two thirds of the solutions or the or the suggestions that they that they pursued were from outside organizations. That's phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, just the list goes on. I got a million notes here, and we'll get these into the show notes, and and hopefully people will will also get as much information and value from it as we did. But we really thank Ben, especially with a 10 hour difference. It's I've done that. I, I've gone I've stayed up late and and participated and I've gotten up early and it's never easy. So really appreciate Ben doing that. And and especially with uh you know I I certainly am passionate about the Blue Ocean strategy. I think it has so much there. And HR really needs to think about how can they become an innovating how not how do they can innovate, but how they should become an innovating culture. Absolutely. Just one real quick story. I know, and then I know we need to wrap up and talk about the webinar. Sherry Harper put in a plug for her. She's a friend of the show. She's a chief people officer with a new company, but she used to be chief people officer of Frisch's restaurants. If you've heard of those. Oh, yeah. Big boys. boys. Big boys. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, whenever the COVID first started, obviously, you know, business just went completely down because they're a restaurant. They fortunately had already built an innovative culture and they thought, how are we going to continue to survive and thrive through this? Well, they turned each of their locations into basically a convenience store. So you could pull up into the drive through and get toilet paper. You could get hand sanitizer, sanitizing wipes. So if they weren't going to have customers inside eating food, then they were going to use it basically as a warehouse. So right. you could zip through 
and order those things. And so, you know, just in terms of folks thinking, well, how can we be innovative? You know, we're a restaurant. Everybody can innovate, like Ben said. Yeah. Brilliant. There's so many other things and my mind's racing with other ideas, but we're almost out of time. We're going to get pulled off the air soon. Listening to Geek Skeezers and Googleization, I want to thank you, Jason, for, for being here. It's been it's been great. We've got an incredible lineup coming up and some big news about us joining the People Forward Network. You'll see some new logos, some new impressions, some some different guests some different style of present interviews that we're going to have. We want to thank everybody for being part of Googleization Nation. And one final reminder, uh, tomorrow, Thursday, January 20th, 20, yeah, the 20th, 2 p.m. Eastern time, we will be, Jason and I will be doing our webinar about Reimagine Your Future. There is the link, rebrand.ly forward slash reimagine 2022. That's rebrand.ly ly forward slash reimagine 2022 or you can just go to the website for success performance solutions and right at the top there's a button uh, you can register there if you're connected with us on linkedin you'll see it there so lots of ways that you can participate if you can't be there at two o'clock please register anyway because there'll be a recording and you'll get that afterwards yeah and we want to thank you we'll be continuing this conversation tomorrow at the reimagine tomorrow and every week on geek skeezers googleization thank you for being part of it thank you for listening please share if you haven't subscribed yet please do so and we'd love to have a review or two up on uh, on any of the podcasts final my exit don't let the shift hit your plans <laughs>